Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I am joined by Justin Peretzen. He's the Head of Sustainability Partnerships at Novozymes. Novozymes is the industrial biotechnology company and world leader in enzymes and microorganisms. They have long-standing commitments to sustainability and climate action. They were among the first companies in the world to publicly align in long-term purpose and strategy with the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. Justin has been central to Novozymes' sustainability activities as part of his 20-year career working at the interface between business and policy. Today, he is going to share with us his insights in navigating supranational organisations, how to get cross-organisational action, and public-private partnerships really working. Justin has a ream of credits to his name, with a backstage pass to places such as the UN General Assembly and the UNFCC COP climate negotiations. We're going to hear more about them shortly. So without further ado, Justin, welcome. Hi, Katie. Great to be here. Lovely to be here, especially at this time of year. And uh, thank you, as always, to Business Fights Poverty for all the fantastic work that you do. Ah, oh, thank you, Justin. It's nothing like saying nice things to start with before we get into the nitty gritty of meeting. And when uh, Justin says at this time of year, we're recording this at the beginning of February 2022, when the weather is grey and cold, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, and Justin is located in a particularly cold, grey place. So <laughs> we're looking forward to some sun at some point. Justin, just to start our conversation today, in recent weeks, we've seen a lot of discussion around the role and relevance of the private sector in addressing sustainability. So we've heard from investors, we've heard from large corporates especially in terms of sort of social aspects of business activities. Why do you think sustainability is good for business? I think it boils down to one very simple factor, and that is that sustainability, if you look at it across the various lenses of environment, economy and society, actually enable you to inform and make better business decisions. If you don't understand your customer, if you don't understand the policy landscape, if you don't understand what's happening in terms of financial markets and how all these things are actually interconnecting, you're not going to be in business for very long. And you're certainly not going to encourage your current, much less your future customers to continue working with you. So of course, there is this balance between, come on, call it pure capitalism versus socially aware capitalism. And I think when you look to your point, Katie, on on investor letters, Larry Fink's latest, which I think ran to something like 3,300 words, tries to really bring this point to the surface. It's not an either or, it's an and. It's about how you integrate all these different aspects and use them to drive your commercially relevant decisions against a backdrop of all the other factors that you need to bring into play. There you go, guys. As succinct as it's going to get, we'll make sure that that's fully quoted across, across everything because actually it's just it's super important to hear and, and great to hear it from you, Justin. And on that note, I mean, you've advised on and led Novozymes international engagement with the likes of the G20, the UN General Assembly, 
the UNFCC, their sort of COP climate negotiations. So you're really kind of out there leading the charge in terms of kind of trying to communicate businesses, activities and or engagement with some of the biggest challenges of our time. What's it like on the inside of these kind of things? Could you paint us a bit of a picture for those who perhaps have never, well, me, quite frankly, have never been to anything like this? I mean, what have you learned doing it? What's business's role in in engaging with these sorts of global matters? How, how do you go about it? I think probably best to start with the last point first, as in why is business there at all or in the first place? And especially why, you know, very busy people like CEOs actually taking the time to turn up. And I think if you look at the latest Edelman uh, trust barometer that came out very recently, over 80% of respondents said it was important that CEOs actually led from the front and were engaged and visible in terms of public policy conversations and issues that impacted not just their business, but society as a whole. So this is very much a space for like-minded corporates as well as as stakeholders from NGOs and governments to come together and really try and not only understand the problems and challenges, but also try and look at the solutions and the opportunities. So of course, there's the public relations aspect of, of being there. But I think increasingly, this isn't just about showing off, it's about showing up. And it's about actually coming with something practical and concrete and being pragmatic in terms of trying to drive solutions forward. In terms of maybe how this looks on the inside, I have one maybe kind of anecdote around this, uh, which actually relates to the UN General Assembly. I was with a colleague and we were actually at a reception at MoMA. I know this sounds awfully fancy, but there's a Jackson Pollock painting in the middle of MoMA. And I said to my colleague, I know it looks chaotic, but if you stare at this for long enough, it will start to make sense. And when you bring 193 countries together, when you bring tens of thousands of people together, of course, there's a lot of chaos around this, but that's also the magic of human interaction. We are able to understand and maybe look at things in a different way than we would otherwise be able to do from our individual you know, bias or silo because we all have them. So how do you go about really deconstructing some of these issues and bringing in different perspectives, for example, from science or, or business or youth? or agriculture, whatever it is that actually makes sense to you as an organisation to then inform what you need to do next. So how many times do you reckon you went to those sorts of international events or things before you kind of felt like that painting began to make sense to you? Like it must take ages just to get your head around it, let alone to start being able to engage and be useful. There is this element of obviously sort of sink or swim when you do these things to start with. I'm very fortunate I work with some fantastic people who really come together as a team and of course working through the likes of business fights poverty you quickly find yourself in a space where you realize that everyone is actually there for the same purpose which is frankly to try and make the world a better place and i think once you start from that perspective it's a lot easier to have conversations with people even if you don't always agree on certain viewpoints so there's kind of the the practical part of actually being on the ground but there's also the conceptual part of why you're there. And I think if you can balance those two pieces out, then conversations tend to be a lot more fruitful. And sticking with it a bit and your kind of experiences, Justin, you're also the chair of the Environment and Energy Commission for the International Chamber of Commerce. You're a co-chair for the Environment Committee, the US Council for International Business. So that kind of chairing role, that bringing together and helping people to kind of noodle through really dis- difficult decisions. 
What's your approach to ensuring these sort of convening events and these collaborations actually can take action and, and potentially make a real difference? I think I'm actually quite fortunate to, to have those positions. And I think very much my starting point when it comes to those kind of convening conversations is firstly is to listen. I have one very good friend of mine who's actually part Lebanese, part Brazilian. His mother always used to say, you have two ears and one mouth and you need to use them in those proportions. So I think first and foremost, actually trying to understand where different viewpoints and different perspectives are coming from is absolutely critical. I think the other really useful thing with those types of organizations in particular is the ability to think in different component pieces of any decision. So very much trying to take a strategic advisory perspective, very much also trying to take an operational perspective, and also trying to take a perspective that might be more technical, for example, in terms of how a piece of policy or a legislation or an investment decision is actually going to have a real world impact. And also, rather than trying to you know, consider this always as a negative, because a lot of these issues are quite heavy and complicated, but there's a lot of solutions out there as well. So how do you actually get that balance between addressing the challenge and also helping provide the opportunity? So again, through that process, we've seen a huge push through those types of organizations in particular to challenge, to challenge business, first and foremost, to drive agendas like the 1.5 degree agenda on climate forward, particularly also in terms of trying to look past some of the immediate issues to what's next. Obviously, you now have a lot of conversation around things like trade and climate change. So how do you actually remove the roadblocks and the speed bumps that are there rather than hitting them later on? So again, it's this mix between strategy and practicality that I think is really essential to make sure that those organizations work on behalf of their members and also that their members can see where and how they work for them. So you get this collegiative kind of collaborative approach really going. Oh, really, really useful insights there, Justin. And full confession here to anybody listening, we have been trying to get Justin to have a conversation on a podcast for ages. And it finally, the penny finally dropped when Justin joined us recently for our Together for 22 uh, summit. And, and Justin really kind of joined and lent in to a workshop which delved into partnerships and really trying to kind of move past or learn from the kind of COVID horrendous experiences to fast track some of the partnerships, the collaborations that we'll need in order to really deliver against whether the sustainable development goals or tackle climate change or whatever the next catastrophe is. Justin, I wondered whether you wouldn't mind just sharing some of those insights that you shared during that workshop. What do you see as the kind of big movers, shakers, actions, learnings around partnerships and collaborations going forward? Firstly, thank you, Katie, for the invite to uh, Together for 2022, which is always a great chance to get to hang out with some wonderful people from Business Rights Poverty and the network and really get to share some brain power. I think first and foremost, those conversations are very useful because they're a safe space. A lot of that conversation is under Chatham House Schools, but I'm more than happy to share, or should I say confess on a couple of things that I did say. Because uh, one of the ideas that's been rolling around in my head for quite some time is exactly what you've just outlined. The sustainable development goals have been around for a good few years now. We've obviously just been through and are still unfortunately going through COVID. And one of the mechanisms that has been deployed is actually the mechanism of, of a public-private partnership. And I guess confession on my side, I spent a chunk of my Christmas binge-watching Series 6 of Queer Eye. 
which is a fantastic way to spend your time and see five wonderful human beings shower kindness as if it was confetti around the world. And then I started to think of, well, what are these guys actually doing? They're giving a wonderful person a makeover. So do partnerships, particularly those kind of partnerships, need a makeover? So if we kind of double click on that for a moment, the design of a partnership has certainly been constructed and deconstructed in the last two years or so. A lot of organizations have taken quite a traditional approach to public-private partnerships and practically put them into the same silo that they've always operated in. We've seen over the last couple of years that really doesn't hold when you need to make decisions quickly, when you need to respond in many cases in real time. And again, just kudos here to Business Flights Poverty for the fantastic effort that they put in in getting oxygen to people in India, which again is exactly the, the point I'm, I'm focusing on here. Again, just keeping with my queer eye analogy, I think there's also not just the question of the design of the partnership, but also how it looks. Is it age appropriate, frankly? Is it taking care of itself in the right way? Does it have the right ingredients to actually drive itself forward? And is it having you know, the right conversation about its long-term health to be able to deliver impact on the ground? So again, I think the, we're at an interesting sort of inflection point on, on those partnerships, because of course, we're quite rapidly approaching 2025, which gives us five years for the SDGs and only five years as a whole for the rest of the 2030 agenda. So I think attention will be focusing more on partnerships, but particularly in terms of how we deliver strong partnerships and really how those partnerships deliver not just value for those involved, but real world impact on the ground. Just unpicking, you mentioned around the kind of public-private partnerships, so the idea of business, civil society, governments and others coming together to to make a difference. I mean, how do you see that dynamic practically evolving or developing in the next few years? As you say, the, the, the clock is really ticking. With your kind of, you know, crystal ball, what would you hope to see happen? Where do you think the biggest impact's going to be? I think particularly coming off the back of Glasgow last year and what we're now going to see, which is the full implementation of the Paris Climate Agreement, I know there are some small outstanding issues, particularly around carbon markets. But if you were to ask anyone, I think, who has been involved in this process prior to Glasgow, were they happy with the outcomes of Glasgow? I'm sure most people would say yes. And I think it's that journey and the acceleration since particularly Paris of the broader understanding, particularly let's just take business from the finance community. You see things like TCFD. So financial related risk disclosures, you now see TNFD, which is the same thing for nature and biodiversity coming online. So there's a much more pressure from the global finance community, which, of course, from one perspective, feeds into the business community because money needs to be invested somewhere. You also see a lot more action from business as a whole, recognizing that, yes, there's the risk aspects to this, but there's a lot of underlying aspects in terms of both opportunity and business growth that need to be put into play. There's also, I think, a growing understanding of the need to have a conversation with civil society, not just NGOs, but also youth groups, and make sure we're actually talking with and to rather than past or at each other. And that, I think, is absolutely crucial. And then, of course, at the end of the day, you have, particularly through the the government channels, you have things like NDCs, Nationally Determined Contributions, which are the roadmaps that business need to look at when they look at what national governments are going to do 
from a climate change implementation perspective, particularly because effectively an NDC is a national investment plan. If you can understand that, if you can unpack that, you can also have a dialogue on a country level, on a sector level, on an industry level, and actually use that to then complete this virtuous cycle of understanding what sustainability is and using it to drive your business forward. So Justin, with that kind of insight of where you can see the sort of the train moving, I guess, I, I want to pull it back to your work and your role within Novozymes. What do you see as kind of key actions that you guys are doing over the next year and, and moving forward? And, and what's your particular role within that? I think in terms of some, some particularly short-term actions, and when I say short-term, over the next year or so, again, now that we have Glasgow completed and the Paris rulebook in full operation mode, it's a lot easier for companies like Novozymes, who have basically led from the front for quite a long time, to then go back and revisit some of their activities, for example, in terms of 1.5 degrees. So what more can we be looking to do to help reduce uh, emissions from our own operations, as well as engaging with our customers to take that conversation to the next level? So certainly I would expect to see a lot more action around 1.5 degrees, particularly across not just scope one and two, but also scope one, two and three. So how do you make that value and supply chain action and keep that momentum moving forward. So from a very concrete business perspective, that's definitely one area uh, that the organization will look into. And then also just a few months ago, actually last September, we launched a new strategy. So that has a very strong focus on other areas linked to, for example, carbon capture and storage, new technologies, particularly agriculture is a key area. Circular economy is a growing area as well for Novozymes as a whole. So really, how do we take that landscape and take it forward inside the business, learning from what we've done previously, but then taking it to the next level. It's really interesting. It sort of feels a bit like, you know, countries are putting forward their sort of national contributions and, and commitments to the climate change agreements, and they're being pushed to do more. It, it feels like businesses are, whether voluntarily or being encouraged to, because of stakeholder demand, to do something kind of quite similar. And hopefully, therefore, you know, we see that doubling down or sort of, you know, increasing kind of ratchet effect. Quite exciting, I think, going forward. But I'm sure hard work for you, Justin. I get to work with great colleagues. So uh, hard work often feels like a lot of fun. Oh, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, God, we've got to, got to, find, some, got to find some fun in there somewhere. And, mm-hmm. and on that note, just to sort of pull this conversation to a close, Justin, today, I wondered whether you would share for anybody who's listening to our conversation what would be your advice or your kind of one call to action for them? I think if you look at this landscape as a whole, it's very easy to become overwhelmed by it because it is so big. And I think from that perspective, you could also say there's a lot of noise around it. It's sometimes quite hard to understand. It's sometimes quite hard to to digest. And particularly any business that's trying to understand this needs to understand it, not just in terms of customer facing or or operations, but also working its way through all levels of the business, particularly up to strategy. And again, taking it one level higher up to board level as well, because you need that strong alignment if you're going to be a purpose-driven business. So if I had any piece of advice, it would probably be to consider things in terms of three C's. And those C's are context, content, and consequence so that you can really start to see where these issues have the largest benefit impact 
you know, risk opportunity for your organization as a whole and where you can actually apply uh, your resources accordingly and correspondingly make the best decisions for your organization. Oh, well, on those three C's, Justin, thank you so much for giving your time so generously to us today and all of your advice and wisdom. Thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure as always. And a big shout out to everyone at Business Wise Poverty. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 